from Matthew 26. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Friend, do what you came to do. In the garden of Gethsemane, surrounded by a crowd with swords and clubs, greeted with such insolence by his betrayer, Jesus addresses Judas as friend. This isn't the more common word for friend found in the New Testament. The more common word is philos, from the the word philia, which means love or affection. But this word, while less common in the New Testament, is from a root that refers to someone of your own clan, someone of your own family. It means companion, friend, cousin, comrade, mate. This word is only used three times like this in the New Testament, and all three times it's found in Matthew's gospel. And as we look at each of those passages, a clear and striking pattern emerges. The word is used first in Matthew 20 at the end of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Remember the master of the vineyard hires workers for a denarius for working in the vineyard at the beginning of the day. And then he hires others in the middle of the day. And then again, toward the end of the day, again, all for the same pay. And then beginning with those he hired last, he pays them all what he promised them. But by the time he gets to the workers that he hired at the beginning of the day, paying them the exact same amount as those he hired at the end of the day, those first workers begin to grumble against him. And Jesus says that the master of the vineyard replied to one of them saying, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own money? Is your eye evil because I'm good? And so the last shall be first, and first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. And then, again in Matthew 22, Jesus puts this word, friend, in the mouth of a king in the parable of the wedding feast for the marriage of his son. Having sent out invitations, remember, none of the original guests would come. Some of the guests even mistreated the king's servants who invited them. So the king sent out his servants again, instructing them to invite anyone they could find from the highways, from the byways, both good and bad. But when the king came into the feast, now full of guests, he saw a man without a wedding garment. And the king said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the guest was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Notice the parallels and pattern that emerges in these stories. In both of the parables, the ones addressed as friend have been treated very well, even generously, but they are not responding well. They're not responding graciously. In the first parable, the worker is being greedy and envious. And in the second parable, the wedding guest has come without a wedding garment, apparently showing great disrespect for the occasion, not really there 
for the festivity. Perhaps he only came for the free food or perhaps as one of the original guests, greedy and envious that others were invited to take his place, which would make both of the so-called friends in these parables greedy and envious. In both, story, in both stories, the master or king intends real blessing to the one they address as friend, doing them real good as friends. But the one they are addressing is in the process of rejecting that blessing, demanding something else instead. In both stories, Jesus summarizes the point as many are called, but few are chosen. The ones that come first often end up on the outside and those who are on the outside at first often end up on the inside. The story of the betrayal of Jesus continues this same pattern. Judas has just betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and we know from elsewhere that Judas himself was a greedy and envious man. He objected to the extravagant generosity of the woman who anointed Jesus with costly oil, complaining that the perfume might have been sold to help the poor. But of course, it later came out that Judas was not really so concerned about the poor as he was about skimming off the top of the poor fund that he was in charge of. Judas was a greedy and envious man. Judas was also in the inner circle of the apostles, one of the first disciples with closest access to Jesus, and yet he betrayed Jesus and ended up on the outside, in the outer darkness, where there's only weeping and gnashing of teeth. Greed and envy are closely related sins. Pilate knew it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus to him. Matthew 27, verse 18. Greed and envy are sins of betrayal. Jesus calls it having an evil eye or having an eye that's full of darkness. Your eyes are so set on something, often something that someone else has, that it distorts your vision so you can't see clearly. Whether it's a possession, a house, a car, land, a job, or a level of affluence, or perhaps a position of authority, or respect, or fame, or influence, or followers, or whether it is a certain relationship, a husband, a wife, children, a kind of family, a kind of marriage, friendship, and ironically, you can lie to yourself saying that you're not envious, you just want these things because they're good things. Isn't it good to want good things? God says they're good gifts. Why shouldn't I want them? Just like Judas said, that his desire was for the care of the poor. But greed and envy don't really merely want good gifts. They idolize these good gifts, obsess over them and calculate exactly, exactly how much those around you are getting and by implication, what you still don't have. And greed and envy quietly, or maybe not so quietly, resent and hate how God is dealing out his gifts. But notice the end of that road. The end of that road is ending up at a lavish wedding celebration, refusing to celebrate. You're so wound tight about what you don't have and what they got and what you haven't got yet that you end up pushing away the gifts he's actually giving to you right now. You become like the dwarves 
in the last battle who can't see or taste the new Narnia. You're there, it's all around you, but all you can see is an old barn full of hay. Greed and envy in the end betray you. And in the process of betraying you, they drive you to betray those around you, like Judas. Yet the point remains that in every one of these stories, Jesus calls the one betraying him, resenting him, hating him and his gifts and his kindness, he calls him friend. And the point I wanna make is that the offer is true. It's real. The offer of friendship is genuine and Jesus says exactly how far he's willing to take this generous offer. In John 15, he says, greater love has no one than this and someone lay his life down for his friends. Elsewhere, Romans says that this entailed, what this entailed, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 6 through 8. While it's certainly true that some whom, call, whom Christ calls friend reject the offer and end up on the outside, end up in the outer darkness. The fact remains that all who come to Christ were once his sworn enemies and traitors. The only people that come to Christ, the only people that Christ died for were sinners, traitors, insolent, ungodly, greedy, and envious. And so his death is a true offer of true friendship. He laid his life down for his friends and his friends were his enemies the ungodly, sinners of every sort, greedy and envious. And he died because he loved them. He died to make them his friends. And when he makes you his friend like that, how can you not go and forgive one another like that? How can you not love your enemies and do good to those who have betrayed you? And so the offer is still there tonight. The offer is here right now for you and for the world. Whatever your circumstances, whatever you have complained about, whatever you have pushed away, whatever you have resented bitterly in your heart or in your words, Jesus still says to you, friend, I am doing you no wrong. All that Jesus does is good and kind and generous. He is the son of the father in whom there is no shadow of turning from whom comes every good and perfect gift. He is the father of all the prodigals and of all the self-righteous older brothers. He has thrown a great party, an extravagant wedding feast, and you are invited. So lay down your grievances now. Lay down all your claims, all your excuses, all your calculating. Lay down your bad attitude, your bitterness, your resentment. Lay down your envy and your greed. Christ was crucified for sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. So come to the feast. But when you come into the feast, you must have a wedding garment. And the wedding garment he requires is a garment of praise. So ask Jesus to peel off all your rags of resentment and envy. Ask him to take them all away and ask him to give you his royal robes of righteousness instead. He loves to give this gift. He promises to give this gift to everyone who comes and asks. He will not turn you away because he calls you his friend. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.